You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. you. James is a good, good buddy, and uh, we've gotten to be in this pastor's covenant group for the last, gosh, almost two years now, two and a half years, and knew him a little bit before then, and I've sat in his office and said, what do I do, and all this kind of stuff, and we just walked each other through some things, and and, uh, very excited to to be here. I've been here uh, once before, I think about a year ago, uh, and so glad to be back with you. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and go to Luke chapter 18. We'll get there in a minute, and today we're going to look at this concept, this, this this principle of prayer, the idea of persisting in prayer. So that's kind of where we're going. But to get there, I want you to think about annoying commercials that get stuck in your head. Hey, it's uh, Jake from State Farm. What you wear, Jake from State Farm? Khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, he's a guy, so. So uh, maybe anyone with me, you have commercials that get, like, annoyingly stuck in your head, and you're kind of, remember the Lucky Wishbone song? Have you... Yeah, you know that. We won't sing it together because that's annoying. Um, but maybe the old school one, uh, the Wendy's commercial where the lady walks up and she's a, a little bit older and she's aged and she's got some wisdom in life and she asks the simple question, where's the, where's the beef, right? That's an old school commercial type. Where's the beef in that? Maybe, um, let's try to think of commercial, oh, uh, celebrities uh, are in, often in these commercials, uh, often athletes maybe, and they've got this liquid in a, in a glass, a clear glass that you can see it, and they have this like white uh, painted on mustache above them, and the end of the commercial says a simple question, got milk? See, you've seen this. <laughs> okay. um, well, it's, it's not just got milk the question, is it? In reality, it's a statement, isn't it? It's like, hey, do you got milk? We just spent the last 28 seconds telling you the benefits of milk and why you should drink it and why the calcium is important for your bones and uh, all the good health that comes from it. And then it's asking you this question, got milk? But in reality, it's not asking the questions. It's making a statement. You should go get milk is what it's saying, right? Well, as we navigate through life, um, see, spiritual growth and, and, and spiritual maturity and growing in a relationship with God. Maybe you're kind of new and coming back to a church, and, and I, I tell you, this is a great community to put down some roots and to develop and begin to search out having some of your questions answered and to understand who this Jesus is because we're going to look a lot at him today because he's kind of the hero of our faith. Not kind of, he is the hero of our faith, and he is what everything is about, and he modeled something in the way in which he engaged in prayer that I think at the end of the day, when you look at the scriptures and you look at the life of Jesus, I think maybe he would end his commercial, so to speak, with got prayer. And it's not a question, it's a statement. And what he's saying is prayer is, is paramount in your life. Prayer matters. See, for Jesus, prayer was never a last resort that you utter when you've kind of hit the wall. Prayer was always a first priority. And if prayer is a first priority for the Messiah, then maybe, just maybe, the followers of this Messiah should make prayer a pattern in how they live and engage and navigate life. Now, there are certain times where prayer is really easy. Certain seasons in life where prayer is really easy, and maybe you've been in those seasons where, hey, I I could just pray, and it it feels great, and, and like it connects. And then there's other seasons where it feels like prayer is just 
like it hits, anyone ever had the feeling like your prayer just hit the ceiling? It's not really going anywhere. You don't know, you don't see God like swooping in and being active and you don't see it. And so you're struggling with prayer and you're kind of like, how do I, how do I keep going? And, and here's what I know about you. It's the same is true as for me. And that prayer helps our hope meter. Uh, what I know about you is you have a hope meter in life. And your hope meter, sometimes it may be sitting here today and maybe it's pegged out, life is great, and you got a lot of things going for you and you got a lot of hope in life. But there's other moments and other seasons that will unfold in your life, and you probably navigated some of those, where the hope meter's kind of running low, right? Uh, maybe the, you ever driven with the gas light on in your car? Maybe the gas light, kind of the hope light is on in your life, and you're like, man, I only got like a little bit, a few more miles of this hope. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. And I want us to look at a story that Jesus tells, and he's going to say it right up front. He's saying to his disciples, his followers back then, and he's saying to his followers today, this is why you pray, and you never give up. This is why you pray, and never give up. So whether your hope meter is pegged out to the good or the light is on, Jesus is saying, we are a people that live in a broken culture, in a broken world, where the hope meter tends to, to, to ebb and flow. And Jesus knows that there's going to be some times for his disciples' lives and for the lives of his followers where you're going to feel like quitting. You're going to feel like, I, I just, I don't know, it doesn't seem to matter, it doesn't seem to be working, and this is why he's telling the story, is so that you would pray and persist in it, and that you would never give up. What's fascinating is we think we understand prayer, don't we? Whether it's reverent prayer and God is holy and he is set apart, and he is, and I have to approach him that way, or whether it's casual and he is a friend and he's as close as a brother and I can have a conversation, and he is, that it's both and, that as you read through the scriptures, there's this invitation for us to pray. In fact, what's startling is that the disciples ask Jesus one day, would you teach us how to pray? Now, what's fascinating about that is these are men, these are, these are people who knew prayer, like you. They know about prayer. They've grown up around prayer. Judaism was based in prayer. It's bathed in prayer. I stood at the Western Wall in January, and, and the shofar is blown over the city of Jerusalem, and you can hear the crowd, just the commotion that's moving toward the western wall, toward the wailing wall, maybe you've heard it, there in Jerusalem, as people, thousands of people, come on Friday night to pray, and they are singing, and they are dancing, and there's old men, and there's young girls, and there's uh, old ladies, and there's young boys, and they're everywhere. Thousands of people, and they stand at this wall, and they pray. In fact, in the crevices of every little part of this wall are little pieces of paper, people jumping, to put their paper in this wall because they're bringing prayer to God. Now, what's fascinating about this is that there is a cry in their heart to connect. Spiritual growth is a highly relational thing. It's not a mechanical thing. And I think sometimes we get those, those wires crossed. And prayer can become very mechanical, very monotonous, very um, pattern-like, but we just kind of go through the motions. And I wonder if the disciples had gotten to that place when one day they come to Jesus, and they say, you know what, we, 
we've been around prayer. We've bathed in prayer. Like, we get prayer, okay? But to watch you pray is different. There's just something about it. Would you teach us how to pray? Remember that conversation the disciples are having with Jesus? So Jesus teaches them. Well, it goes on. The scholars uh, sometimes look at Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18 and realize that maybe Jesus, when he was teaching about prayer, would have maybe used these two parables simultaneously as he's teaching his followers. Luke has laid it out this way in the Gospel of Luke. He's writing an account of why you can believe in Jesus, why he is the real deal, why this really unfolded. And he goes on, he's going to teach about prayer. So in Luke 18, verse 1, here's what he says. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and what? Not give up. They should always pray and what? Not give up. Um, Henry Nouwen is uh, a theologian, one of uh, my, my favorite authors, written several books. In one of those books, he has this quote about prayer. He says this, prayer is the central piece of the Christian life, the only necessary thing. That's a profound statement. Prayer is the central piece of the Christian life, the only necessary thing. Why? Maybe Jesus understood this. The prayer wasn't a last resort that you utter when you've hit the wall. There's moments for that. You know the best prayer in that moment? Help. God responds to that. But prayer is a first priority for Jesus. It's a, per, a pattern that he persists in over and over. In fact, you read through the gospel accounts, Matthew chapter 1, Jesus often withdrew, verse 35, to be alone in prayer. Jesus prayed with people. Jesus prayed in crowds. Jesus' prayer was just something he did, and the way he prayed caused his early followers to say, we want more of that. We want to understand prayer. And so Jesus tells this story. This is a story that's not really taught all that often, and it's an interesting teaching mechanism that Jesus uses that we'll uncover here. But Jesus tells this story, and he says right up front, Luke records, Jesus is telling this story so that you would always persist in prayer and you would never give up, whether the hope meter light is on or whether it's pegged out to the right, that you would always pray and you would never give up. Now, to help us understand this story, um, I thought, because of my great artistic abilities from Morana High School, uh, that I would draw for you. And you are in for a treat. So, we have two main characters in this story, okay? We have a widow, and we have a judge. Okay, so, uh, let's read together. Luke 18, Jesus tells the story. I'm going to tell you the story so that you pray and you never give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with her plea, grant me justice against my adversary. There's a widow. So we have a widow here. Let's, um, <coughs> she's got flowing hair, um, shirt, arms, she's got eyes. She's, she's a beautiful widow. Um, <laughs> please don't encourage me. Um, so, and we have a judge, okay? We're going to give him glasses because smart people have glasses. And uh, we're going to give him a judge's robe. 
wow, that is really bad. Uh, he looks like a piece of toast. Um, <laughs> he's got a gavel. Okay, so we got a toast-like judge and a woman who should not be dieting. Um, so we have this widow, we have this judge, right? Um, just bear with the drawings. Here's what we understand about this widow. Now, in the first century, you have to put yourself back into the original hearers of this story. Because Jesus has already told you he's telling this story so that you would always pray and never give up. But he tells this story and he puts two characters in it. He says, we have this widow. Now, in a first century world, when you hear the word widow, instantly you have a perception and understanding of what's really going on. In our culture, we don't. See, a widow in our culture could be a business owner, could be a CEO, could be someone that has well-established finances and, and, and connections of friendships that will be around her and support her in the loss that she's faced in this moment. But in a first century world, when you, uh, ladies, when you're, in a, let's be honest, a second class in some ways, not right, but that's the way it worked in the first century world. It was a kind of a less than status to be a lady. Sorry about that. But that was the reality of the first century world. We come a long way, it's good. And a widow, meaning the person you were dependent upon for a livelihood, to have a voice, to have an ability to have influence, is taken out of the picture. When someone in the first century hears the word widow, they know something about what's going on. They understand. This person is penniless, they are powerless, and they have no voice. That's what they would have understood as Jesus just utters the word widow. What does James tell us? Not the pastor James, but he might tell you this too. Uh, James tells us what's true religion? To take care of widows and orphans, to, to, to live this out, to not just be someone who talks about something, but who lives this out. Why? Why did he say widows and orphans? Why? Because they, they had no power. They had no status. They had no influence of their own in that culture, that understanding. They would have known that. They needed someone to stick up for them. And so you have this widow that's penniless, powerless, and doesn't have a voice. If she had a Facebook status update, it would be, desperate, need help, frowny face. That's what it would be. That's what would be happening in her world. And she has an adversary that's pursuing after her. Maybe it's a landlord trying to evict her. Maybe it's someone who they had passed debts before and they're trying to collect now. And she doesn't have a way for that. And she needs justice in this moment. But see, Jesus is also described that there's another character, Mr. Toast. There's a judge here, right? And this judge, if you read back in Second Chronicles... Jehoshaphat, the leader of Israel in the day, set up what judges should be like. In fact, Jehoshaphat's just a fun name to say. Let's all say that together. Jehoshaphat. That's just fun. Don't ever name your kid that. They will be beat up. <laughs> so, Jehoshaphat, um, was the ju he was the guy who put into place the judicial system and said, you as a judge are to have power and you are to have a voice where you, your rule will be carried out and you are to fear God and to live under his sovereignty. And you are to stick up for people who need a voice. Why? Because the Israelites had been in slavery. 
They knew what it was like to not have a voice, to not have power, to not have influence, and to be told and have an adversary over them. And he set up the system to say, you will counteract that. But Jesus tells us something about this judge. So not only do we have a widow, we have a judge. And what was his characteristics of the judge, remember? The judge didn't give a rip about God and could care less about people. You give a person ultimate power and they don't live under authority of anyone else, that's a bad combo, isn't it? And so Jesus is telling the story. Hey, there's this widow and there's this judge. Remember at the very beginning, he told you why he was going to tell you the story. So that you would always pray, you'd persist in it, and that you'd never give up. See, all throughout the scriptures, over and over, Paul writes about it in Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer. Devotion in the Greek is literally this idea of, of make this a pattern in how you live. Do not, do not thwart away from it. Do not fade away from this. Make this part of how you live. Ephesians, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray for the saints. Pray for the people around you. You pray for yourself. In Luke 11, Jesus tells another story about why we should pray, why we should persist in prayer, and how God's wired. But here in this story, he's setting up two characters. And in a lot of different ways, we begin to see something unfold. It's a bad combination when you give a judge uh, no fear of the Lord and ultimate power. And this woman keeps kind of wearing him out and saying, I need justice. So she keeps coming to him. What is the vaguest odds that he would respond to her? The odds makers would probably give it a zilch, right? Because he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. And she's a nobody in that culture. So why would he care? There's no influence for him. There's no, okay, I scratch your back, you scratch mine type of, uh, of need or response or anything given in this moment. The odds makers would probably look at this and go, that ain't gonna happen. But something begins to transpire in this story. Let's read on. For some time, he refused. Okay, well, that's obvious. We kind of knew that was coming. This judge is like, eh, you're a gnat, go away, you're bothering me. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out or attack me. That's what the story continues to unfold. This judge has an interest. It's called self-interest. And this widow, who has no voice, no leverage in life, continues to come to him day after day after day at the market. She meets him. Judge, 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 judge. He's like, go away, you bother me. He goes home to his neighborhood. He's opening up his gate. She's outside the gate. Judge, 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 judge. Uh, um, let's put it in words that, maybe an image you can understand. How many of you are parents, grandparents? Okay, grandma, grandma, grandma. Grandma, 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 uh, mom, 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 mommy, 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 mom, dad, dad, daddy, 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 daddy. Have you ever? Is this bringing back bad flashbacks for you? Um, probably your grandchild or your your son daughter is about three, maybe four, 
and they've spotted a candy bar or a toy at Target that they want, and they've come to you in the deepest plea, and they have created an argument with one word. Mommy, 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 mommy. Stop me if you're annoyed. Okay, so in that moment, what do you do? You snap, and you go, fine. Here's the candy bar. Eat it now. Why? Because you have an interest in that moment. Self-interest. And you're tired. And you're annoyed. And you're bothered. And you want it to stop. And you've tried everything in your parenting repertoire to make it stop. And they have not quit. And so either you revert to spanking or revert to leaving the store. But you have a mission that you're on. And you just finally go, fine! That's this judge. Fine! I'll see that you get the justice you need. And he responds, not out of her interest, but out of his own, to keep a distance from her. Now, if that's the story Jesus is telling, and the story stops there, as a first century hearer, you might begin to try to solve the issue. Uh, to bring resolution to what's... How many of you watch, uh, like, detective dramas and you're trying to figure out who done it, uh, like, halfway through the show? It's like the second commercial break and you're like, she is totally guilty. She totally did it. He is so guilty, right? And you're trying to pin on who done it, right? And then you get to the end of the show and you're like, well, I, I was wrong. Um, <clears throat> in the first century hearers of this story, I wonder if what they begin to think as Jesus is telling this story, hey, you need to pray and never give up. Okay, well, maybe, maybe I'm a lot like that widow. Maybe, maybe I don't have anything going for me, and I don't have any leverage with God, and I don't have a voice with God, and I, don't, I certainly don't know how to, to get his attention, and maybe I just need to annoy God. Maybe, maybe God's a lot like this judge, and he's just kind of aloof, and distant, and uh, distracted. He's got a lot going. He's got to run a universe. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, I just have to go grocery shopping today, but maybe he's got a lot going on, and so maybe, maybe I really have to just persist, because I just seem to, to knock on the gates of heaven enough until, like, my knuckles start bleeding before God will give me what I need, and then I'll see that I get justice, and he'll respond in my case, and his activity will come to be in my life. And if you begin to think that way, you're not alone. Because remember there's a story in the Old Testament of a people who thought that way. It wasn't about the creator of the heavens and the earth. It was about their false god Baal. And you might remember it happens on a mountain. And there's Elijah. He's the one true follower of Yahweh. And his 450 prophets of Baal over here and they begin to cry out and chant and dance and sing and cry out to their false god Baal for him to send fire to their altar. And all day, this goes on and on and on. And if you read the story and you understand the Hebrew language behind it, Elijah is over here, hasn't said a word yet, has built his altar, and is actually taunting the 450 prophets of Baal. In fact, in Hebrew, what he's literally saying is, hey, maybe your God's on the pot. Maybe he's octopado. Maybe you need to yell louder. 
The fan's going. He can't hear you. That's really what he's saying. We think it's a simple story. It's pretty funny. Maybe he begins to yell. Maybe your God is like on a boat on a faraway trip, and you need to send up like smoke signals or something. Get his attention. And so they begin to cut themselves out of devotion, out of pleading for their God to act. The problem is their God isn't a God. And Elijah over here, in one simple prayer, says, God, you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. Would you send fire that people might know that you're real? And God sends fire to burn up that altar and the other altar and then sends Elijah on a little vindictive rage here to say, let's set the record straight of who's real and who's not. Justice begins to flow. What's fascinating about that story is that story, in a lot of ways, relates to this story. Because and as a first century hearer, you might look at this story and go, man, I'm a lot like that widow. I don't have a lot going for me. God must be a lot like that. And I guess I just gotta persist. I just gotta raise up my devotion. I just gotta, I just gotta be more disciplined. I just gotta be more, exercise more this thing of prayer. I just gotta, I gotta do more. I gotta say more. I gotta, and maybe that's what you're beginning to think. And then Jesus finishes the story. Verse six. And then Jesus said, Listen. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting you off? No, I tell you, he will see that you get justice and get it quickly. Yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. Jesus says to his disciples, to his early followers, you need to pray and you need to never give up. And the reason you can never give up is because you're not at all like this widow. And God, he is not at all like this judge. He's nothing like that. And you are nothing like her. In fact, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You have been pursued by the creator of the heavens and earth because he sees you as valuable and worth pursuing. And you have been ushered into a relationship with him through faith in Christ. And you have access. You have the availability of God, who is not distant and aloof and distracted, but who is dialed into your life. And the reason you can pray, and the reason you can never give up, is because he's aware, he's alert, he's dialed into you. And the reason you can pray is because prayer is relational. It's not mechanical. It's not a pattern of things that you do these seven lines and then you move on and the next day you come back and do these seven lines. Prayer is about communication, but more than that, it's about connection. It's about connection with your heavenly Father who is nothing like this, who loves you, 
who is aware of more of what's going on in your life than even you are, and who is at work behind the scenes of your life even when you don't recognize it, because he loves you, because you are not penniless, you are not powerless, you have a voice. Hebrews chapter 4 says we can come boldly before the throne, not because we're good enough, but because we've been given access. We've been given a backstage pass that gives us the availability now to come before the creator of the heavens and the earth and say, Daddy, I need your help. I need this. I want to know you better. I want this to unfold in my life. And God's not a genie where he's just going to give you wishes. Why? Because he's a good heavenly father who knows what's best for you. And sometimes that will be challenging. Sometimes your parents challenged you growing up, and it was for your good. Sometimes God will challenge us. Sometimes God will just comfort us, allow us to crawl up in his lap and just rest, and maybe our prayer conversation is help. I just need your help. I don't even know what the next step is. And his comforting embrace will say, it's okay, I got you. And we are gonna move forward together because I'm not at all like this judge. You're not annoying to me. I actually love spending time with you. I would love for you to spend more time with me because you're not this nobody. You're not someone who's overlooked. I I carry your picture in my wallet. I've got you on speed dial. I'm with you. So Jesus is telling this story. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, uh, he, he says this, this other parable most scholars believe maybe told together. Remember, he's describing prayer again, what it's really like. He says, which of you as fathers, if your son asks for a fish, that you give him a snake instead? Only a dumb dad would do that, right? Only a jerk dad would do that. He goes on, verse 12. Or if, you, if your son or daughter asked for an egg, you'd give him a scorpion. Nobody would do that. He says, if you, though you have an evil bent, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? That's the teaching mechanism Jesus is doing. You thought it was this, but how much more? It's called kale. It's the weighty. Here's the light. Here's the weighty. Here's what you think it might be. Here's the truth. And so Jesus is telling the story to a people whose hope meter is maybe lit up near empty. And he says, this is why you're to pray. This is why you're to never give up. Psalm 103 says, I I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me. He answered me. He responds. God's dialed into your life. I have in my phone several phone numbers. So do you. I have four that I answer no matter what. They're my wife and my three kids. And when they call, I don't care who I'm meeting with, I answer. Why? Because I want them to know that their dad is dialed into them, is aware and is alert and is available no matter what. You're in God's speed dial. And when you call, the psalmist says, he answers. It may not be an answer that is clear 
and you may feel at moments where you're like, God, I don't see you answering. I don't see you moving. But he is behind the scenes. And it will come to, to pass in his sovereignty and his direction. Henry Nowen, remember what he said? Prayer is the central piece of the Christian life, the only necessary thing. If I was going to give you a bottom line for this whole message, here's what it would be. Prayer is the central work of the Christian because prayer is the central help for the Christian. Prayer is the central work of the Christians, what we're called to. We're to persist in this pattern of prayer, not in a mechanical way, but in a highly relational way, because God is nothing like that judge, and you are nothing like that widow. You are invited into a highly relational connection with the creator of the heavens and the earth who has dialed into your life. And so it's to be our work, because it is our central help. And so I just want to create a moment uh, for you, give you space, maybe, just to pray. If it helps you to, to close your eyes, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And then we're, uh, our team's gonna come. They're gonna lead us in one song of worship. We'll take up the offering uh, at that time. And in these next 30 seconds, here's what I want you to think. And again, if it helps you to close your eyes and just concentrate on this, just to think. Is there one person that God keeps bringing before your heart, before your mind, that you need to be in prayer for today? Is there something that's unfolding in your life that you feel like, man, I've been trying to solve this and carry this and bring it to its end and to its completion, and I have totally forgotten to ask God to help with that. Maybe today you just bring that before Him. He already knows about it, but bring it before Him and let Him help you carry it. Maybe there's something that's struggling. Maybe you feel like your hope meter light has come on and you're running on low and empty. And Jesus said, this is why you should pray and never lose hope. And so, Father, we give you this next couple seconds here. Just ask that you guide our prayer. So take 20 seconds. Lift up a prayer to God. And I'll close this in a second. Father, we worship you. We're so grateful that you can run our universe in your sleep and you got time to be dialed into each and every one of us. You're not distracted by all the prayers coming at you right now. That's, you are more than enough to handle that. You're confident because you know us. You love us, you care about us. And that we can engage in prayer with you because it's about developing our relationship connection with you. Father, I thank you that we're not like that widow. We have a voice, we have access, we have availability into your throne room. Because of your son, we worship him. We thank you for him. Father, would you give us a surge this week in our prayer life 
that we would, as Paul says, pray without ceasing. What does that look like? Well, it's praying throughout my whole day. That we would take focused moments where we just pray and connect with you. We listen. We lift up needs of friends to you. God, we pray for James and the team in Guatemala. We pray that you'd bless them. You'd surprise them today with your activity and your grace being expressed in and through them. Fill them with the wonder of what you're up to. God, we pray for LWC. I pray your blessing over this church that you would expand its borders to penetrate the hearts of the thousands of people within driving distance of this place that need your hope, that need your grace activated within their life. Would you draw them? Would this be a place of light and hope and grace and love? Father, I pray for my friends gathered here that, God, we would be active in our prayer life with you. And if we feel stale in this certain season, that you would bring new vitality to that. You'd refresh that today. This week, would you give us a hunger to always pray to never give up. We pray that in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.